Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience, 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. This is your chance in about 30 minutes to get at least one proven and practical idea that will help you run a more successful and sustainable business. We have a a guest today that I'm really excited for you to get a chance to hear uh, from him. He's... uh, I know he's a good father. In fact, I would say a great father. I can tell he's also a great partner in the practice of which he's a part. His clients view him as more professional, paid professional assassin. He is more of a partner in their businesses. He's courageous. I know he's taken risks at time that carried with him significant downside, and yet he was not afraid to do that. And then the last thing I would tell you, of all the people I've had on the podcast so far, he is probably in the top two or three at being a wonderful, wonderful listener. He is a, he genuinely listens to what you are saying and thinks about it and gives it credence before he offers up his own opinion. So he's, uh, we're going to have to work to maybe get him to talk as much as I want because he is such a great listener, but we want to welcome to the Ed Epley experience, George Andrus, partner at Kleshinsky Morrison, Morrison partners, CPA firm out of Mansfield, Ohio. George, welcome to the Ed Epley experience. Hey, Ed, thanks for, thanks for having me. Those are wonderful, wonderful things you said about me. And I uh, don't know that I live up to all of them, but I'll, I'll take the billing nonetheless. All right. Well, we're <laughs> glad you're here. Trust me, I've been around you enough to know that they're the vast majority of times they're true. I know we all fall short at times, but, but I know you're a, I know you're a valued resource at home, at work, and for your clients. Let's start with what's it like to be a partner in a CPA firm normally at this time of year. And then actually, normally it would be great right now, but but, but because we're after April 15th, but <laughs> what's it like now uh, in the pandemic as well with the extended tax season? What's, what's going on in your world in that regard? Well, the last two years have, have certainly, certainly been a challenge. 2020, even more so than 2021. You know, 2021, we were prepared is the word I would use to, to describe what the, the firm's attitude was going into tax season. 2020 was was a significant, significant challenge. Uh, you know, just like everyone else, we were right in the middle of tax season when the, the pandemic hit. On top of kind of managing through what it meant for us as a business, uh, what to do with our employees, what's the right thing to do with them, do we go remote, do we not? We also had to navigate the uh, various stimulus packages that were being put out and, and what that meant. You know, mm-hmm. typically we, we have the opportunity right. to prepare, you know, and get up to speed with everything, you know, in the in the, the fall, November, December, and a little bit in January into the winter and, and roll it out kind of the rest of the year. Well, in twenty twenty that wasn't the case. It was uh build the plane as or rebuild the plane as you're flying. How out. often did you have to say to a client uh last year at this time, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I don't have an answer for you. Was that was that a normal response, or did you have a lot of clarity very quickly because of you know the different affiliations you have and the resources available to you? No, you're absolutely right. There was there was a ton of that, and and it was beyond that. It was I don't know, and I don't think the answer is available. 
So that, that was a significant challenge and it took a lot of trust with the clients to A, be able to say it, but then B, for, for the clients to, to understand that and say, you know what, I'm willing to come along with the ride for you. Though. Did you see mood swings in your clients last year? Did you see them going from being scared to optimistic or from pessimistic to positive? I'm just curious about what the attitudes were as you went, if you think about it, end of Q1, Q2 and so forth. Can you, can you play that back for us? Absolutely. There's one one in particular that comes to mind. We had a retailer that, you know, they were going gangbuster because, you know, as as kind of everyone was was scared, their business went boom and they had people beating down the doors to get in and, and get their goods. But the, the client actually felt like, hey, for my people, I need to I need to close down and close down for a period of time. And, and they did. And they made that tough decision. So there was I'm sure there was a lot of fear in that time in making that decision. Right. Passing up revenue and profits at, at a time uh, that otherwise would have been, I guess you would call it uh, remarkable, right? Absolutely. And and so what happened over that, that kind of six week period where they were shut down is they really felt like, Hey, we got a handle on it. This is what we need to do to keep our people safe. And and then it went, it went right into the um, let's, let's capitalize on the opportunity. You know, this is what we got to do to make our people safe. And now we're out here to serve, serve our customers. Once again, I've referred last year to companies, organizations falling either into the tomb or the boom extreme. Were most of your clients in one category versus the other, or were they in both? I mean, maybe they went they went through both. I don't know. What 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 did you see? You're, uh, I heard you say that on one of the earlier podcasts, and it's it's spot on. Tomb or boom, you know the the, the people who are in industries, particularly that are consumer facing, you know, with all the stimulus dollars and that are in the right. market right now, they're doing very very well. Some of the other ones were areas I think of uh, marketing. That's that's one industry that's been hit in my in my experience very hard are are struggling mightily and and that's where some of the second round of stimulus is is actually very important keeping keeping these guys in business. So you think it's been a good? Uh, do you think the both rounds of PPP money have have been the right thing? Do you think it's been too much, too little? What what's your thoughts about that? Uh, you know, the first round it's easy to look at hindsight. You know, when you go back to the the initial implementation of it, very little guidance, but it was anyone who's affected by the pandemic was eligible. Well, everyone was affected by the pandemic. And and I think all of my clients, I can think of only two or three that that didn't that elected not to participate in that program. Okay. The money did get out and get used. And in some cases it, it felt like hey, it's a company that's doing okay. Uh, or ended up doing okay, but again, that's with the hindsight. The the second round, this this newest round, I feel like is has done a really good job of targeting the people who it is intended to target. You know, the people who lost a significant amount of revenue, who would otherwise be doing some significant layoffs, and it's give them the opportunity to operate kind of business as usual in a time where they otherwise would not be operating business as usual. Yeah, I you know, regardless of your political persuasion. It seems to me that one of the things that both rounds of stimulus have done has provided confidence, uh, both to the individual organization and in a lot of cases to the communities and the you know places where business is being done, that our community is going to be okay, our network of businesses, our majority are going to survive. And it's hard to place a dollar value on that. It, it really is. I want to talk a little bit about your profession. 
I don't know if it's fair or not, but I think that CPAs have a, I guess you'd say a reputation of being fairly analytical. Is, is that, do you think that that's accurate that most of the, of the people in your world are analytical? Absolutely. I think, I think that's a fair representation. I think what surprises people is, is how it displays itself amongst the different practitioners. You know, there's, there's a stereotype out there for a reason, but, uh, I think. Do you have a pocket protector? <laughs> yeah. in my other shirt. <laughs> I, I i knew he didn't have one on audience just for the benefit of those of you we, we have video we can see each other but but i thought I've, i thought you'd want to know the answer to that go ahead Jim. no there, there, there's there's plenty of us there that do still wear the the green visor and the the ink sleeve but um yeah, yeah. you know there certainly um i think where what is unfair is there's there's a lot of dynamic professionals out there that don't fit the stereotype you know and i think yeah. at our core we're we're quantitative, we're analytical, but I think there's a lot of us that that know what to do with it and kind of can can it goes beyond just the numbers. It's it's taking the numbers and putting them into action. Yeah, as well as context, right? There's there, exactly. there's there's other things to consider besides the numbers themselves that that make the numbers appear to be better or worse than they might be. When did you know you wanted to be a CPA? You know that goes back to uh, to my college days. I, I did. Uh, I was always strong in math. And had an amazing accounting professor. You know, this goes back to the, the personality thing. Where was I was this at Wittenberg? At Wittenberg. Wit- yep, yeah, exactly. And had an amazing accounting professor who who did not did not fit in the mold of what you think of. You know, big personality, uh, very affable, and I was just drawn to him. And and um, as an advisor, he said, you know, you should really really look into this. It's 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 beyond. It can be beyond. What, what maybe your expectations are and and really come to find that out kind of over the course of my career that uh, particularly in public accounting, it's not just, hey, we're sitting in the background cranking the numbers. You know, and a lot of times we're sitting alongside the business advisor and, and helping right. them through. I've been exposed to several different CPA firms, uh, some large regional ones, some national ones, and then uh, your firm in the, the North Central Ohio area. And I think what I noticed about your firm is relative to others, the larger ones, it seems like everybody in your practice is really in an intimate role with their clients. It's not, you're not at arm's length. You're kind of at the table and you often involved in highly sensitive and, and oftentimes non-financial discussions. Is that accurate? Is that an accurate interpretation on my part? Absolutely, and, and I'm, I'm, you use the right word there. You know, uh, customer intimacy is kind of our our calling card. That's where we try to set ourselves apart. And from a cultural perspective, that's ingrained very deeply in the firm. You know, this is I'm part of the third generation of ownership of the firm. This goes back first generation. Mm-hmm. There's there's a great story of uh, the back then the top client of the of the firm. It's a, a large construction company that really early on in the in their business they they actually got into a contract with a, a municipality that was going to sink them. You know the terms they had missed something in the quote. The terms were very unfavorable and it was going to put them under. And Dick Klashinsky, the firm founder, went to bat for the customer and, and got in front of the people in the city that needed to and, and got the contract modified in a way that made it work for both parties. And and that uh, 
has never been forgotten. You know, and we're still working with that company into the third generation of ownership. And that kind of bleeds into right. everything. That attitude bleeds into everything that we do around here. How do you guys judge whether or not you're successful with a client? Is it is it just number of billable hours? Is it, or is there something else that, that <laughs> decides or makes it clear that, you know, we, we, we're in lockstep with these people. They're in lockstep with us. Well, I guess there, there's two parts to that, to that sir, Ed. And the, the first one is being accountants. There's always a quantitative answer, right? And, right, and that's, right. that's going to be, obviously, our numbers in the background. But what we're looking for is are we moving the needle in the right direction for the client as defined by the client? So some people, it's, hey, uh, we, need, we, want, we want some good tax planning strategies. So are we doing the right thing on the tax planning side? Others, it's on the financial side, and it's, hey, we need to meet certain ratios. We need to improve here, here, and here, either for the bank or the bonding company or whatever outside user of the financial statement there might be. Um, and so that's the kind of the quantitative answer. Qualitatively, what we look towards is is exactly what you described earlier, and that's have we become the trusted advisor? Are we moving towards becoming that client's trusted advisor? When something big happens in that client's life or in the business, are we the first call that they made? Yeah. And I was just thinking, and so it's getting calls during non-business hours. That would be a very good indicator that you've been successful with your client. Absolutely. And, and, you know, uh, as much as, uh, sometimes my, my wife dislikes it, that's, that's a hallmark yeah. of, of where I need to be is when I'm getting that call at seven o'clock at, at night and answering it and having a discussion right then and there. Good news, bad news, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm curious about what percent of your clients, maybe if you want to discuss it as a practice or your own book of business, are multi-generational. In other words, there's more than one generation of, of family ownership involved in the currently in the business. What how how prevalent is that? You know, it's 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 a, a decent chunk. It's probably close to a third. You know, okay. What we've seen is a good number of them. Uh, we really like because we have that relationship, and our firm is really set up well for that. In terms of that second generation of ownership, it usually is aligning with with the right. founder or or you know the the generation that's looking to transition. And uh, myself and and one of the other partners here uh, are of the age that we're lining up with, with kind of the children taking over. And, and so that's working really well uh, for the firm right now. So when families do that well, or don't do that well, what does that look like? I'm, I'm guessing that there are common themes about when families seem to have a handle on that. And it, and it, maybe the family doesn't get uh, a lot of, I guess you'd call it angst or, um, unintended negative consequences because I've seen that happen more often than not that mm-hmm. the the transition from one family generation to the next can sometimes rip families apart. Absolutely, and we do a lot of work um, both on the business side, but but on the personal side as well in in addressing those issues. You know, we talk a lot to the 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 first generation about about equality versus equity, you know, what's, what's equitable to the kids and what's, what's equal for the kids, you know, particularly when one kid's in the business and one kid's not, you know, and how, how do you do that? How do you, how do you split your wealth in a way that everyone feels comfortable with at the end of the day? 
I've often felt like in uh, negotiations of almost any kind, when both parties are a little bit unhappy, it's probably somewhere close to the right answer. Is that is that true in this instance as well? <laughs> Absolutely. And the, the the one thing that we always we really stress upon, the, particularly the, the parent generation, is openness. Have the difficult conversations up front. Let mm-hmm. the children know what the expectations are and the way that it's going to be done. That saves, in our experience, so much strife, you know, particularly once mom and dad are gone and, and kind of the gloves can t- tend to come off when everyone knows what the game plan is and we can move forward uh, and just execute the game plan at that point. How often do families tolerate incompetent family member being part of the organization? <laughs> Too often. Okay. Yeah. All right. So we've got that. Okay. We got that clarity. So is that part of the tough conversations? It, it absolutely is. You know, where, where I've seen it work out the best is, is having the true tough conversations, but honesty as well. Honesty on all parts where it's, Hey, you know, you're, you're better suited for this role over here. And, you know, we can figure out how to make it work financially for everybody. Um, but it, you know, what happens is, is if, if you don't address it, it drags the whole organization down because not only within the family and the family strife, but the employees understand it. The, a lot of times the, the customers understand it, the vendors understand it, and, and everybody suffers as a result. Yeah, it is the proverbial elephant in the room. Everybody knows the issue, but no one wants to talk about it or it only gets talked about indirectly, right? Exactly. How are your clients doing this year? For in general, are, is this is this going to be a good year for most of your clients? Um, I think there's there's a little bit of hesitation. You know, they're they're off to a, a decent start, but um, no one, everyone's still looking at what's to come. You know, mm-hmm. it's hey, we're off to a good enough start, but you know, the crystal ball right now is only going out. You know, three months when typically it would go out six, nine, 12 months. Is that because of supply chain issues or is that other stuff? So normally the crystal ball goes out, you know, maybe six, nine, 12 months. Uh, right now we're seeing a lot of people saying next three months, I know what's going to happen, but beyond that, not really. And as a result, they're a little bit concerned about what is the administration going to do? What is it going to look like? You know, I think, um, Politics aside, a lot of people felt like the last administration was very business friendly, and so they're 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 waiting to see what kind of comes down the pipeline from that perspective. So, how much regulation? Uh, how much involvement will government want to have in the way your business is being run? That kind of stuff. Exactly. Yep. Um, it, it, are you seeing a lot of supply chain issues with your clients? You know, there there's certain areas, yes, but I think for the most part we're we're past that. We don't have a lot of uh, home builders and the things that I'm I've been hearing that there's some supply chain yeah, issues right yeah. now. But for the most part, I feel like yeah. it's it's behind us. Um, again, some of the retail not quite there yet. You know, and we have the 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 one shared shared client that they're seeing guns and ammunition are are way way back up still, and and so they're they're still struggling yeah. through that. But um, beyond that. Do you think that at this point, the issues that will confront business the rest of this year, in other words, the questions that are coming to you, are they going to be more about should I invest money? Uh, should I be spending money or should, you know, is it, is it about going into new markets? I'm, I'm curious about what, what's the kind of conversations you're having right now from a planning point of view. That's exactly it. We, you know, normally whenever there's tough times, the people who come out on the other side, there's opportunity. 
And so that's where a lot of the business right. owners are looking at is where where do I deploy my dollars? Where do I deploy my time and effort into getting an unfair share of the market? Do you see your clients right now having too many choices, too many options, or are they are they constrained? They 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 really don't have a lot of options. It's got it's more about just executing on on a few things that they know to be accurate and the right things to to work on. Yeah, that that the latter is is where I'd say most of my clients are. I feel like uh, what I what I've heard most most regularly from the clients is our people is the biggest constraint that we have. And, and despite all the stimulus and despite all the, the dollars that are into the into the market right now, being able to execute is the most important thing, deliver on our promises. And as such, the people is the biggest constraint. Is it not having enough in, in terms of, in other words, being able to actually staff appropriately? Or is it more about getting those people? I got staff, but I just got to get them to raise their game. It's it's that the raising the game. It's getting the people that are able to do the things that the the clients need them to do in in a, okay. in a manner that's uh, sufficient for for the business. So let's let's step away now from the the the, the economic environment we're operating in. And let's talk more about in general now what you've been at the organization over ten years, right? You've, mm-hmm. Yep. So you've you've learned to to. I think at this point there are certain things that make businesses successful, things that that get in the way. The businesses that you see being successful right now, in general, uh, I guess you'd say, what kind of leadership do they have? Is it authoritarian? Is it highly participatory? Is it, you know, what what's the the style that that these organizations are using? I don't know that there's one one right style. I think m- most importantly is that they know their style, you know? And, and so I've, I've seen kind of all walks make it. And it's just a matter of, is, is that so deeply ingrained in your culture that everyone knows how we're going to function, how we're going to operate, particularly when times get tough or time gets short and, and everyone can, everyone knows what to do and when to do it. That's pretty, that's pretty profound, George, that, that the, so it's not which style, but it is committed to whatever style you have and, and recognizing that that's the way we play the game here. Exactly. Do, do you see any changes in the makeup of leadership teams, you know, with all the emphasis on diversity and inclusion, are you seeing more women involved in your organizations than they were five years ago? Um, I'm, I'm curious what you're seeing there. Yeah, I, I think, I think we have, you know, particularly some of our, our, Bigger companies are are that have the resources to to do a kind of a wide ranging search and and are looking for different perspectives. You know the the traditional small family owned are are right. sticking with that kind of core leadership team that is a makeup right. of the family. And if the women women are in the family, they're certainly part of that that conversation. But I think the bigger companies, the the ones that are leaning towards a more type of corporate culture are, are certainly doing what they can to get women uh, in the leadership team and in the, in the decision-making rooms. I've had a couple of organizations that tried so hard in their next C-suite opportunity or opening to make that uh, more likely to be a person of color or, or a, a female. And they're struggling 
just literally after months and months of looking to find enough candidates to really fill the positions because it seems to be so many organizations trying to find those same people. Are you seeing that in, in mm-hmm. your area? Do you, do you have any insight on that? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's certainly part of it is, is uh, because of the, the newfound awareness, you know, there's, there's a lot of demand in that space. And, and so therefore it's become a little bit of a challenge uh, finding the, the right candidate for, for that role. And, and again, particularly because it, it still needs to be a fit. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. It's got it. That, that's you're right. If it, if the person does not fit the culture, then it's not going to do them or the organization any good to go down that path. So I know we've got just a few minutes left. So let's think about advice you would give at this point. Number one, I'm going to ask you a couple of, of questions in this area. Number one, if if a company is okay, they're you know they're good for the foreseeable future. Right now, what would be a couple of things you would say that you know they're not threatened? They they know they can survive in for the foreseeable future. What what in general would you say they need to pay attention to? Well, certainly on on the tax side, the thing that we're dealing with with a lot of our our clients is just what impact kind of tax reform might have, and and because of that, you're kind of on a precipice of opportunity. Making sure that you're you're situated well to to take advantage of whatever change that might be, because whenever there's a change, there's going to be uh, an opportunity there. But beyond that, I think it's it's what we had talked about, which is just business planning. What where where do you need to steer your company right now to to take best advantage of where the market is going? Okay, and and where do you need to spend a disproportionate amount of your time okay. to make sure that. Uh, as things change, because everything has been so volatile in the last 18 months or so, uh, to be in the right spot when things kind of resettle. And I think that's where the business owner really should trust their own instincts. You know, they, they typically are the the expert in the market, and, and we're just really uh, encouraging them to have the courage yeah. to do that, you know, to take the drastic steps that they feel like they need to take. Are you seeing your clients spending more time and energy on strategy and being very intentional about that? Uh, yeah, more more so than ever. Where it's even if it's not formal, they're they're having a lot more internal uh, discussions and and thinking a lot more about that now than than really they ever have. Because again, with the turmoil, has caused everyone to kind of rethink everything, and yeah. and as such, they're trying to strategically position themselves uh, to to be in the best place once things settle. If somebody was going to do strategic planning, what advice would you give them? Would you would you would you suggest that they should do it themselves? Do you think they should have an outsider facilitate? I'm curious about that kind of stuff. No, I, I, I'm a big proponent of outside facilitation when it comes to that. Um, you know, I, I have, I've referred plenty of people to Aileron. I think that's a that's a great uh, a great stepping off point for that and the course for presidents. Just because I think a lot of people. That outside perspective is invaluable. Usually, you know, companies get to where they are because they do what they know. But it's a, it's, it's kind of funny because usually that next step requires doing something that's a little bit counterintuitive to the business owner. And that's where that facilitator can really come in and help. Yeah. Where do you fall on the premise of uh, or the idea of boards of advisors? Uh, again, uh, a big, big proponent of that as well. Um, you know, we're generally speaking, we're very, very big on not giving up control, which is why maybe a board of directors is is not right. the way to go, but a board of right. advisors that's bringing a different perspective and a lot of times can help a, a business owner get a little bit more high level 
than the day-to-day allows them is is really a beneficial thing to to an organization. All right. We're at our time, so we've got to ask you that final question. So, George, when it comes to that one thing, that most important thing that you would ask uh, a business owner or an executive to really focus on so that they could run a more successful business, in your opinion, what's that one thing? The one thing that I always recommend my clients is when when coming to a decision, bias towards the executable decision. Okay. We have a lot of people who who really want to get to a perfect plan that usually involves a lot more complexity and a lot more uh, uh, trap doors to fall through. I, I, I really like going to an executable plan that can be pulled off. And then at the end of the day, you look back and say, hey, well, you know, we set a goal and we were able to accomplish that goal. Is it? Is it? Do you think in some cases it's subconscious that the more perfect I make it, the longer it takes and the less likely, the less, uh, I don't have to get to work as quick on making some of the changes I know I need to make. I can delay by, by, by trying to make it a perfect plan. Do you think that ever happens that, that sometimes the owners know that the work to be done is not going to be fun or easy? Absolutely. There's, there's a little bit of procrastination in there. And then the other piece is it tends to be a little bit less easily. You you can't measure it as well either. And so therefore it's, it's a little bit easier to say, Hey, we didn't screw that up because because yeah. uh, X, yeah. Y, and Z happened or whatever. <laughs> All right. He's George Andrus. He's a partner at Klashinsky Morris and Morrison in Mansfield, Ohio. He's a good man. He's a good friend. George, if they want to reach out to you, what's the easiest way to get that done? Best way would be through email. Uh, my email is george at kmmcpas.com. So that's kmmcpas, plural, dot com. Thanks for being with us today, George, on the Ed Epley Experience. Thank you, Ed. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's the Epley, E-P-P-L-E-Y, group.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills. 